The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Today's the day, the market-moving inflation report, and what investors hope is a good number. The head of CalSTRS, though, says he's not optimistic. Senators today get their first classified briefing on the object shot down by the American military, are they just balloons or something more? A surprise pick, President Biden reportedly set to name a new chief economic advisor. Plus, awful news from Michigan as a gunman leaves three dead at Michigan State University. Police searching for answers this morning. Later on, Japan's big shift as its central bank readies a leadership shakeup and signals sweeping changes. It is Valentine's Day, February 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. And they are, no surprise, little change. I say no surprise because we've got that massive inflation report due at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Dow futures up about 29, NASDAQ up a little bit. Don't expect, I mean, I could be wrong, but don't expect a major move for the futures ahead of that. All of this coming off another good day for stocks. All the major averages on Monday up more than 1%. The S&P 500 has jumped nearly 8% so far this year. And by the way, that's about the historical average for a normal full year. And in a few moments, you're going to hear why one of the biggest investors in America is a little bit wary right now of equities. That's in a minute. In bonds, the 10-year yield just back under 3.7%. Again, that could all change with that inflation reading at 8.30. In energy, though, oil, we're going to show you that it's down a touch, but that's off the cash close. Oil actually about to break above 80 bucks again. It's right there at 79.15. This even as the government gets set to sell another 26 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Although, before you get all jumpy about it, this is part of a sale that was approved by Congress a long time ago. Some tried to stop it. It did not get stopped. So we're going to drain that SPR even more. There's going to be a lot of buying that has to be done to get that thing refilled. By the way, natural gas, it's still below two and a half bucks per unit. That's even with Freeport LNG's first exports since the June fire that shut it down. Really three-fourths of a year. That is a major export facility. And that was a huge amount of exports of natural gas that were offline, allowing inventories to build, prices to come down. And by the way, I'm going to play meteorologist here for a minute. It's going to be about 60 degrees in parts of the Northeast this week. Yesterday, literally out in the yard with my dogs and my son in a T-shirt in New Jersey in February. It's almost spring-like weather. Demand for natural gas. I bring it up not because I like the weather. Just that natural gas demand is way, way down. We're not cranking the heat. Keep everybody warm. And amid an industry-wide crackdown in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether slightly higher. 
but lower than they were last week. Bitcoin's at 21,800. Meantime, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade and some headlines out of Europe. Jumana Berseche is in our London newsroom with that. Jumana, good morning. Morning, Brian. Well, to build on what you were saying about energy prices, it's interesting as well that Dutch TTF prices over here in Europe are also the lowest they've been in the last year. So that is a, a positive tailwind for some of these European economies. And behind me, though, you can see the price action today is pretty positive, building on a solid start to the week yesterday as well. The FTSE 100 up about four tenths of a percentage point. Just about to break through 8,000 on the upside. That is a key psychological level. Zetsche Dax in Germany up about two-tenths of a percentage point. Adidas continues to languish. That's a stock that we looked at towards the end of last week. And then even the defensive index, the Swiss index, also up about half a percentage point. Credit Suisse seeing a bit of a rebound. But in terms of some major news overnight, I want to turn your attention to Japan. Because over there, the government has now formally nominated Kazuo Oida to succeed Haruhiko Kuroda as the governor of the central bank. Now, the 10-year JGB, you can see over here, is just above 50 basis points. That is the upper level of that yield curve control range. There's obviously a lot of views out there that they may look to move away from that easy monetary policy. So that's something to watch out for. Another stock that is in focus is Adani. India's Adani Group has reportedly appointed the accountancy firm Grant Thornton to carry out independent audits of some of its companies. Now, this, of course, comes in the wake of accusations from short seller Hindenburg Research that led to more than $100 billion in market cap that was lost. Uh, the reaction today is still pretty negative as well, though it is a positive endorsement uh, that they have brought on an external auditor. And then finally, the automaker Ford says it plans to cut 3,800 jobs in product development and administration in Europe over the next few years. The carmaker says the move is in response to cost pressures. So on the reaction on the back of that, we are seeing a positive reaction up 3.4 percentage points. But of course, 3,800 jobs lost in Europe is quite significant, Brian. Yes, it is. All right, Jumana Bersetje, appreciate that. Good seeing you. Thank you. All right, now let's get some of this morning's top corporate stories and money headlines and what could be a big move off the Federal Reserve. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Brian, good morning to you. Let's start with President Biden because he's reportedly set to name a Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Brainerd to serve as chair of his National Economic Council. Now, an official announcement is expected this week. Brainerd will succeed Brian Deese, who is planning to step down later this month. Amazon takeover target and robotic vacuum maker iRobot is planning to cut around 7% of its workforce or about 85 employees. Now, this coming after the company reported $84 million in losses for its most recent quarter on sales of $358 million. iRobot expects a, quote, muted first quarter for 2023. And CNBC sister network NBC Sports is preparing to make a, quote, aggressive offer to win back NBA broadcasting rights after a more than 20-year hiatus. The NBA cannot formally begin negotiations with companies other than Warner Brothers, Discovery and Disney before April 2024 unless they waive their exclusive negotiation rights. Apple and Amazon have also expressed interest in buying rights to the NBA, Brian. That would be a big move, and I think, you know, we're, we're part of the NBC family, an exciting one for us. It would be very exciting. Yeah. All right, let's go Rockets. Thank you very much, Savannah. <laughs> All right, now to the markets and your money. And ahead of today's inflation report, we sat down with Chris Ailman. He is the head of giant pension fund Calsters. 
And we began by asking him about the lack of economic visibility right now and the outlook for U.S. stocks and what is his base case for the economy and the equity markets. I feel like every year I say it's an uncertain future, but this one is really strange. You get uh, inflation numbers, then you get unemployment numbers that are strong. Um, I still think we're going to have a recession, but maybe, maybe Jay Powell will pull off a soft landing. Boy, the markets sure think he will. Uh, in the USA and in Europe, somebody explain to me why Europe is so strong in this environment. It's amazing. Okay, a light winter, but man, it's really hard to figure out if you're bearish, you're getting hurt by this market rallying. Um, it's tough to figure out where to be. It is. And, you know, with Europe, obviously, we've been reporting on the energy crisis there. It's turning into maybe a financial issue because they're spending hundreds of billions to make sure they don't go down the, the proverbial economic drain, if you will. Let's focus on the U.S., though. And I guess, Chris, if let's say the base case is for a mild and fairly short recession. OK, let's just assume that's the base case. If we indeed get that, a technical multi-quarter recession, has the stock market already priced that in with the declines last year and the reduction in multiples? Well, that's what the inflows would make you believe, Brian. Uh, I, I still don't buy it. I feel like this market uh, is is overpriced and outdone itself. It's overbought, but it keeps rattling. So there's money flowing into the USA continually. Um, and, you know, look at these earnings reports in the first quarter. They were not really very good news, but that hasn't slowed the market down at all. So, this is an environment for a PE expansion, so I don't get it. The earnings are going to come down anytime the Fed raises rates over 450 basis points in a short period of time. You're going to see more pain, and I think it's still coming. But then again, I'm stymied by this market because it rallies on a regular basis. So watch the unemployment numbers. That's going to constantly tell us something. Obviously, the Fed is very data-dependent. And maybe, like I said, Jay Powell pulled off the miracle. We'll see. In the 70s, we got a number of bear market rallies where the S&P rallied, what, 20, I think even sometimes 30 or 40 percent before continuing to decline. Do you feel like that's what this is or not as severe as the 70s? Because you're clearly nervous about U.S. equities. Uh, our portfolio, Brian, you hit it on the head. Our portfolio is tilted defensive. So that's worked against us in the last, gosh, seven months. But uh, I would hope it's not a 73, 74 bear market. That was horrible. Um, I would think that we would see at least a market uh, a decline. I said at the start of the year, I thought the market could give up 20% during the year. Right now, that doesn't look plausible. Uh, and we've broken a lot of the technical trend lines. So just because the yield curve's in inverted, it doesn't cause a recession. It has portended a recession. And that's why I think many people still think there'll be something. The Fed has to slow the economy to get a lid on inflation. But hey, inflation is lightening up so far. But, the, you know, the stocks that have gotten bought this year, and we look at them all the time and we show them to our viewers, they were the ones that got destroyed last year. It's like the exact mirror image, the opposite of 2022. I don't understand who's doing the buying. Do you? No, I don't. You know, there's still a big retail influence. Uh, the day traders of the Robin Hood era are still there, but they're often options and daily traded uh, uh, options. 
Uh, what I'm seeing, though, is is a rotation of the active managers who are trying to buy value because they think a recession is coming. So they're trying to own stocks with a dividend and own something that's going to hold some value through this. And the technology stocks are the ones that are laying people off. So it's a difficult yeah. environment for people to invest and make money. It's a time when you got to pick your asset allocation and stick with it. And hopefully you have enough diversification to balance your portfolio. Bonds now have a yield. So that gives you an option to, to balance your portfolio. But you can't be all in stocks unless you've got a very long time horizon. What do you see as the outlook for both infrastructure and private equity? Well, Brian, on private equity, it's tough because they have not marked those portfolios down very much. You look at last year, bonds were down double digit, stocks are down double digit. Private equity was flat. Something's got to give. Either the market has to come up, which it's doing, and so they can justify the values, or we have to see some write downs. And you're already seeing it in some of the mega funds who are going out to get new, raise new money. They're having a tougher time. A lot of portfolios are at their maximum that they can take in private equity. Sure, there's new money in the Middle East and, and in Asia, but it's just not a huge flow of money going in. Yeah. And I think you're right. The EBITDA multiples, when you got higher interest rates, the cost of capital, you're going to expect slightly lower returns. But again, private equity is a five to seven year investment horizon. So the environment can change. But on your point on infrastructure, Brian, you raise a great one, which is, I think, you know, the infrastructure of the world is still crumbling. They didn't repair it much during the pandemic. And now we have a massive energy transition. I see that as a huge mega trend that is both a risk, but also an opportunity. And infrastructure is going to play a big part of that, um, not just in traditional renewable energies, but in energy distribution, uh, power distribution, a lot of different areas that needs long term oh. patient capital. And that's exactly what we are long term and patient for a nice, steady rate of return. And as always, our special thanks to Cowster's CIO, Chris Aylman. Some good points there and a little nervous on the equity markets. All right, we've got a lot to do on this Tuesday. And when we come back, former Morgan Stanley Asia head Stephen Roach is here. He's got a new book with his take on rising China and American tensions, the leadership shakeup at the Bank of Japan, maybe what could be a seismic shift for investors. Plus, Apple running into some hurdles as it tries to diversify away from China later on. TV numbers are in for Super Bowl Sunday. Hint, it's a pretty good night for the NFL and for Fox. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. 
This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, time now for some Tuesday morning big money movers. Shares of Palantir, they're moving. They're moving higher. company posted its first ever profit in the fourth quarter. Also expects it will be profitable on a gap, an accounting basis this year. Palantir CEO Alex Karp has originally targeted profitability in 2025. Palantir is up 17% right now. Avis budget also rallying. The car rental chain's fourth quarter results beat forecasts. Get this. They said their commercial business is above pre-lockdown levels. Demand for leisure travel is stronger in the holidays, and those trends have continued into the first quarter. By the way, have you rented a car lately? Have you seen the bills? But it's not all wine and roses out there. Shares of SolarEdge, they're dropping. The solar power company gave revenue guidance that was on the low end of what some analysts were looking for. SolarEdge down 5% right now. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI is back, tracking Super Bowl advertisers, their stocks, and their one-year returns. And the results may surprise you, and not in a good way. We're back after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back. It's going to check on this morning's other headlines and some breaking news as well, including the horrible shooting at Michigan State last night that left three dead and an entire campus traumatized. NBC's Philip Menes in New York with that and more. Philip, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. A shelter in place has been lifted at Michigan State University after a mass shooting across multiple locations left three people dead and five others in critical condition. Campus activities are canceled for the next two days. After an hours-long manhunt, police announced that their sole suspect was found dead. He was only identified as a 43-year-old man who is not affiliated with the university. An investigation is ongoing. Later this morning, the Senate will receive a classified briefing on the three unidentified objects shot down by the U.S. military since Friday. This comes as the Biden administration continues to face scrutiny over its response to these objects, the first of which was that Chinese surveillance balloon that was down near South Carolina on February 4th. Chiefs Kingdom welcomed the Super Bowl champs back to Kansas City on Monday. The city will host their second Super Bowl parade in four years tomorrow. And the NFL and Fox Sports announced 113 million viewers tuned into the game on Sunday. That is the third most watched of all time in the biggest Super Bowl audience in six years, Brian. Wow, that indeed uh, was a big one. Um, Tough night. You know, I, I have some friends whose kids go to Michigan State, so I listened to the police scanner for two hours last night, and just so many calls, so much confusion. Um... Bad night in Lansing. Philip Menem, thank you very much. Oh, you got it, Brian. Yeah, all right. Uh, glad everything, uh, at least for now, uh, settled up. All right, coming up, back to business. We're going to speak with former Morgan Stanley Asia chair Stephen Roche. He weighs in on the growing tension between America and China. 
potential solutions to try to defuse the situation. As we had to break, check out shares of T-Mobile. Thousands of users reporting network outages late last night. That's according to downdetector.com. T-Mobile says it is working on resolving a problem that caused intermittent issues with voice, messaging, and data services in several areas. And so service now should, should be back to normal levels. T-Mobile stock not moving. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Could the good times for stocks be running out? The new warning from one major bank ahead. Get ready. Today's the day. The latest read on inflation. It should move markets either way. And Apple's production pivot from China hitting a few bumps in the road. It is Tuesday, February 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome. Welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, and happy Valentine's Day, home of the $75 bouquet of flowers and $125 prefix menu. Enjoy. All right, let's see if the markets are full of love and good cheer today. Stock futures, they're not doing a whole lot, maybe up a little bit. And again, Dow futures up 27. Don't expect much change in the futures ahead of that 8.30 a.m. Eastern time inflation number. That is going to be, I mean, I'm confident in saying this, the market mover of the day, 8.30 a.m. That number comes out. And by the way, before we go on, just a quick note, there were some adjustments. So as Steve Leisman will point out, the comparisons from the last couple of months may be off a bit because, remember, they revised up December late last week. So the comps are going to be a little bit different. They're also lowering the weighting in how much used cars matter. Steve will be along to clarify it all. But the, the, the comparisons are going to be a little bit apples to oranges, although having just gone to the grocery store, I can confirm that apples and oranges are both still expensive. All this still coming off another good day for stocks. All the major averages on Monday up more than 1%. And with that, the S&P 500 has jumped nearly 8% so far this year. Good year. But not everyone is convinced that this is how things are going to go from here. Late yesterday, J.P. Morgan's team put out a note to clients saying in part, quote, we see the equity risk reward is skewed to the downside as upside potential for markets is likely fairly limited given stretched valuation and high rates. Well, downside could be meaningful, e.g., in case of a further weakening of activity, persisting inflation, higher terminal rates, or a resurgence of geopolitical risk, end quote. One does wonder if that last part is a reference to these balloon and other objects, which is going on, which may also explain this. One of the biggest aerospace and defense ETFs is doing well and certainly one to keep an eye on, the ITA, iShares Aero Defense ETF popping in the last few days. No surprise there. And energy, oil, seems to be closing back in on $80 a barrel, even as the American government gets set to sell another 26 million barrels from the SPR. It was a long ago pre-planned sale by Congress, but it's still going on. We got a lot. We're going to have to refill. Crude oil down a little bit. At 78.90, natural gas is below two and a half bucks per unit. As we noted before, we don't do the weather. But it's going to be about 60 degrees in parts of the Northeast this week. And so demand for things like natural gas is going to be way, way down. I don't know if we're on pace for the warmest February ever. And I know we got, what, two weeks to go. (laughs) But if we're not at the most, the warmest, it's got to be close. People are in T-shirts 
and shorts jogging outside yesterday. All right, meantime, let's get a check on some key money headlines, including Apple hitting some snags, trying to move some of its manufacturing out of China. Silvana Hanau is back with that and an interesting move by Walmart. Silvana. Ryan, let's start with Apple because it's reportedly facing obstacles in its bid to shift production to India. According to the Financial Times, the tech giant has been sending product designers and engineers from China and California to factories in India to train locals and help establish production. But the FT says that only about half of the components being made for iPhones at a casings factory run by Tata Group are in good enough shape to be sent to Foxconn for assembly. The paper says that Apple's push to expand in India has been slow in part due to challenges in logistics, tariffs and infrastructure. The Financial Times also reporting that Amazon CEO is vowing to double down on the company's struggling grocery business. The company recently paused expansion of its fresh supermarkets and cashierless convenience stores. But the FT says Andy Jassy claims Amazon is ready to, quote, go big on brick and mortar stores, blaming a lack of normalcy during the pandemic for early issues. And Walmart is shutting three of its technology hubs in the U.S. According to reports, the offices are located in Austin, Texas, Carlsbad, California, and in Portland, Oregon. The reports add the retail giant is also asking hundreds of workers to relocate to keep their jobs and that nearly all technology employees across the company would be expected to work in their offices for at least two days a week, Brian. Two days. Maybe not the end of the world. I know. Not bad. Savannah, thank you. Savannah now in the office, five days a week. There you go. There you go. (laughs) All right, let's get now to the global markets and a seismic shift underway in Asia, breaking overnight. Japan nominating 71-year-old Central Bank board member Kazuo Ueda as the Bank of Japan's next governor. If confirmed by the country's parliament, Ueda would succeed incumbent Haruhiko Kuroda who has advocated for looser monetary policy, keeping interest rates at rock-bottom levels for the past decade despite rising inflation. The leadership shakeup could mean some changes in sharply higher rates, maybe, in the near term for Japan. All this as tensions rise between America and China as the U.S. military combs through the wreckage of that downed Chinese balloon and what is amounting to a war of wars between D.C. and Beijing over other suspected surveillance practices. Let's talk more about this with Stephen Roach. He's the former chair of Morgan Stanley Asia, currently a senior fellow at the Yale University Paul Tsai China Center, and is out with a new book called Accidental Conflict, America, China, and the Clash of False Narratives. Uh, Stephen, good to, have you, good to have you back on. I look forward to reading the book. Uh, it does feel, whatever these objects are, some, one was a balloon. We don't know what the other ones were. We don't know where they came from. A lot of... Sus- you know, talk about China, whatever, it feels like we're kind of creeping down a bad road with arguably our largest competitor and adversary. What's your take? Well, first of all, Brian, happy Valentine's Day to you. I would be remiss if I didn't offer that. Um, Thank you. It feels like a um, uh, early stages of the second Cold War. I'm, I'm reminded, of course, when the former Soviet Union shot down uh, the U-2 spy plane uh, in uh, 1960, which um, ushered in the most dangerous part of that Cold War, 
and uh, the, the rhetoric that's escalating on both sides uh, from the U.S. and, and China uh, with denials, uh, uh, allegations going back and forth, breakdown of communication uh, is um, got all the trappings of a, um, uh, a very worrisome escalation uh, in uh, conflict between, yes, you're right, our largest trading partner, uh, also uh, the world's uh, second superpower. And look, in the last five years, we've gone from uh, trade war to tech war to now a new cold war, and it won't take much to spark uh, a major uh, accidental conflict, which, as you just noted, is the, the title of my new book. And I'm not going to ask you to, to dig into whatever these objects are. Uh, you probably don't know. I Maybe you do know. I certainly don't know. The American government apparently doesn't know. And if they know, they're not really telling us here, Stephen. But there have been some reports that I have read, you know, Wall Street research, whatever, that suggest there, that there could be signs of a sort of a breach between President Xi Jinping and the army. Do you sense, having lived in China, worked in China, knowing China so well, that there could be some kind of a, a power struggle within China? Absolutely not. Um, the, the very first thing that uh, Xi Jinping did, Brian, when he uh, ascended to his, his current position was really to consolidate his control over the People's Liberation Army. Uh, he spent a lot of time building uh, alliances and replacing uh, senior officers uh, in the PLA uh, who, <laughs> whose loyalty um, might have been questioned, but now is, is un, uh, flappable when it comes to um, working closely uh, with the, the leader of the party. So I, I think these rumors are without any substance, and I think Xi Jinping is in very firm control of the PLA. It would probably be good for the world if we had a better relationship than a worse relationship with China. I mean, I know that's like some really, you know, high-level stuff that I just threw at you, Stephen, uh, because we don't need armed conflict. So in your new book, you talk about potential solutions. If you were going to advise the U.S. government or maybe the Chinese government what they could do, one easy step, it is Valentine's Day, right? Maybe you got a little bit of a, a spat with your loved one and you, and you got to start to make up. What would be that first move that each side could and should make? Well, let me, let me give you an answer, a very quick one. But uh, let me just say one thing before that. Contrary to what um, you might hear on your program or what we hear all over America, America does not have a China problem. China does not have an America problem. We have a relationship problem that needs a relationship solution. So my very first step, uh, very appropriate on Valentine's Day, is to move from distrust to trust. And there's a lot of easy things we can do in rebuilding trust, like reopening uh, closed consulates, um, restarting foreign exchange programs, uh, relaxing restrictions on visa requirements, uh, relaxing restraints on uh, NGOs, a little tougher to do. And then the big things like uh, global health, uh, cyber, uh, and climate change. We can't do anything without trust. My book concludes with a three-part plan. I'm only going to give you the first part uh, because I want you to read the book, Brian. 
but you asked me for one thing. Trust is more important than anything. And there is no trust right now between the United States and China. And you wonder, and again, we'll read the book, Stephen, how long it would take, even if those moves are made, to bring that trust back. Trust is earned, not given, but we will, we will look forward to reading the book. Stephen Roach, I want a signed copy. I'll pay for it, but I just need you to Good, sign it for It's important you, you pay that? for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to do now, it. Right. I'm going to pay. Uh, there's, no, there, there's no friends and family discount here, Stephen. I'm going to pay full price, but I'd like a little thing like, dear, insert name here, thank you for having me on your show. Stephen Roach <laughs> of Yale. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. You have a good day. All right, Stephen. Thanks very much. All right, coming up, your morning RBI and the potential return rate for companies and those costly Super Bowl commercials. Is it worth it to buy an ad? Well, we've got some numbers. I may say it's not. I'll show them to you. Coming up. Welcome back. at a market flash for you on Tesla. Bloomberg reporting moments ago that workers in New York State are launching a unionization campaign says the workers who labeled data for Tesla's autopilot technology at the company's plant in Buffalo sent an email to Elon Musk this morning informing him of their intent to unionize. Bloomberg adds the people behind union efforts by some Starbucks workers are helping lead the Tesla campaign. The stock, little change right now, maybe up just under 1%. Time for a Tuesday RBI. And even though the Super Bowl was Sunday, honestly, we were simply too tired to put this together for yesterday. But let's stay on football and money. Because as you were enjoying a great game and a couple eh, of decent commercials, most, let's admit, were pretty unremarkable, our team at CNBC was putting together some big money stats. And that was around how much it costs to buy a Super Bowl ad and if companies actually benefit from paying all those millions for them. Now, of course, the companies are going to measure success in many ways. But from a stock perspective, it doesn't look great. Here are some returns for the stocks of advertisers in last year's big game. Year over year, one year ago, Rocket, 29% drop. Squarespace, minus 30%. DraftKings, down 30%. Amazon, down 39%. And those weren't even the worst four. Look at these stock returns since last year's Super Bowl. Advertiser Coinbase, down 72%. Vroom, what a bust, down 86%. That looks okay compared to Carvana, which lost 93%, and there's a company called FTX. You might have heard about them. They lost 100% of their value because they went completely bust and are subjected to one of the biggest alleged fraud cases in maybe the history of modern humanity. Not good. Okay. Now, does that mean there is some automatic direct correlation between the Super Bowl, the advertisers, and stock performance? Absolutely not. There are tons of factors for everything, all stocks, All situations are different. But you can see that last year, a lot of newer companies did. Apparently wanted to make a splash and maybe take a moonshot by buying a multi-million dollar ad. This year, it was a bit different. You probably noticed most of the advertisers were more old school, multi-billion dollar brands with huge marketing budgets. If you didn't know, here they are. Budweiser's AB InBev, Booking Holdings, Diageo, Dunkin' Donuts, Expedia, General Motors, Google, Procter & Gamble, Pepsi, Squarespace again, Stellantis, that is the owner of Chrysler and the Dodge Ram trucks, they probably the best commercial, T-Mobile, Uber, Unilever, and Workday. Why do you care about that? Well, here's what we're going to do. We created a Super Bowl for stocks. We put all of them into a screener, 
And we're going to track all of those big spenders to see which of those stocks, quote, wins the next year and which stock maybe totally muffs it. Why not? Super Bowl ads, big bucks, we'll see in a year. Random and expensive. All right. As we had to break, during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage with some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and business leaders. Here is Longview Global Managing Director and CNBC contributor, DeWarwick McNeil. My personal and professional journey is highly influenced by the history of the African-American experience here in the United States. The struggle and sacrifices made for freedom, justice, and equality uh, has made it clear to me the need to continue to press forward no matter how difficult the challenge. Our advancement here in the nation in education, science, politics, arts, and culture has inspired me to make my mark in my profession. I am proud of my heritage and proud to be an American. Uh, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories that you need to know about. And we start on a sad note. Three people are dead after a lone gunman opened fire last night at Michigan State University. The 43-year-old shooter has no known affiliation with the school. Took the coward's way out and shot himself as police closed in. Our thoughts to every student, faculty, and every member of the Spartan family. As hokey as we get it. President Biden reportedly set the name Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Brainard to serve as the chair of his National Economic Council. Ford Europe says it will cut approximately 3,800 product and development jobs in the next three years. Says the cuts are being driven mostly by reduced vehicle complexity and its transition to electric powertrains. Adani Group is reportedly hiring accounting firm Grant Thornton to conduct independent audits of its companies in an effort to debunk claims by short seller Hindenburg Research. This is the first major effort by Adani to disprove the accusations directly. Our sister network, NBC Sports, reportedly prepping to make an aggressive offer to win back NBA broadcasting rights after more than 20 years. Apple, Amazon, and Disney may also vie for those rights. Could get expensive. And crossing moments ago, Reuters reporting that Paramount Global is working with a financial advisor to explore the sale of publisher Simon & Schuster. This after the company's $2 billion deal to sell the book publisher to Random House collapsed. All right. For more on today's big CPI report and what it could be for the markets and your money, let's bring in two of our favorite people, Kevin Simpson, founder and chief investment officer at Capital Wealth Planning, and Michelle Girard, head of U.S. at NatWest Markets. Uh, Michelle, first to you. You know, we got these wonky revisions that were sort of released in the darkness late last week, which changes... (laughs) The comparisons a little bit. I know it's going to be weirder than normal. <laughs> what are you looking for? Well, you know, they do this every year with the seasonal factors. And, and all it does is sort of it, it raised it, In fact, the revised numbers look for, you know, look at higher Q4 inflation that, you know, at the end of last year, although that was offset by lower inflation earlier in the year. It kind of just has to do with the spreading of the numbers over the course of the year. It didn't affect our numbers in terms of the forecaster expectations for today. It on the margin maybe put a little bit of downward pressure on our estimates. We're still looking for an overall gain of four tenths and a core rate gain, excluding energy of, of a high three tenths. It means it could be a four tenths. Honestly, though, Brian, 
the market has worked itself up in the wake of those very strong employment numbers and, and you know, a, a fearing an upside surprise on inflation. So the market is priced in a lot in, in terms of sort of bad news, if you will, on a high inflation print. I think if you got the numbers we're looking for, which are a little bit below consensus, the market would be quite relieved. Yeah, Kevin, I feel like in Calster's CIO, Chris Aylman, told us this in an interview we ran this morning. Feels like everybody's really in that soft landing camp. Well, who wouldn't want to be? I mean, wouldn't that be a wonderful scenario? I think our base case is still that it would be a challenge for everything to work out perfectly. And to Michelle's point, if the CPI number today surprises to the upside, and I know that's not their base case, it could provide a little volatility into these markets because the, the, the idea that disinflation could be just such a linear perfection is, is difficult for me to get my head around. We saw service PMI come up a little bit. We've seen used car prices come up a little bit. So it's, it's possible, just like last year when we, we saw CPI kind of punch us in the gut a few times, that this print could come in a little bit hotter than expected. And I don't think that's a, a break in the trend. I don't think that means that inflation is, is coming back. But we've had such a cooling period that if we get a number a little bit hotter than we're expecting, it could it could spook the market a little bit short term. Yeah, I mean, Michelle, give us uh, you said three tenths, four tenths. I'm thinking Matthew McConaughey, Fugazi, Fugazi, Wall Street. If it, if it comes in at three tenths, I'm a little punchy and I'll tell you why in a second. If it comes in at 0.3 or 0.4, does that make a difference? I mean, how much sort of delta in Wall Street speak are we looking for here? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, the market has, you know, 10-year yields have risen about over 30 basis points. Two-year yields have risen over 40 basis points over the last you know, week and a half or so. The market has moved a lot. And that's where if it comes in at four-tenths or, 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 or something below that, you know, even if it is, you know, I would think the market could actually rally a bit in relief. If you get a higher number, a five or six-tenths number, a high core rate number, I mean, is the market going to start to price in a whole lot more Federal Reserve than it has, you know, in terms of hikes than it has uh, in the wake of that very strong employment report? It just seems to me the risk reward in terms of just the reaction to this number is a little bit skewed, given the fact that we've seen a pretty sharp sell off in in markets and, and a, already a change in expectations around uh, how much the Fed has to do. And as I said, in the wake of those very strong employment you know, numbers of, uh, last week. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, if we if you said everybody wants to be in the soft landing cap and you're right, I mean, why not? Good news is better than bad news. So if we get good news and it looks like inflation continues to moderate, do we just keep buying stocks given the S&P 500 is already up 8 percent this year? Well, I think markets are a little bit ahead of their skis right now. I think stock prices are a bit inflated and the the the. CPI print today will have little effect on what the Fed does over the short term. But I think what the consensus has been pushing this pivot out, maybe the, the fact that we were so enthusiastic that the Fed could start lowering rates this year, markets shot out of the gate like a cannon to begin 2023. In reality, that, that enthusiasm may be a little bit premature. So our base case is that for the next three, six, possibly as much as nine months, we could be in a range-bound market. So I wouldn't be going all in with the euphoria that stocks are going to go up 7% every month and just compound into an incredible year. I think you have to remain defensive 
There's nothing wrong with that. You know, our, our thesis is we're going to be invested, but let's look for a little bit lower beta names, cash on cash dividends. The, uh, the stock market will go up. The Fed will pivot at some point for either a hard landing or a soft landing. I'm just not convinced yeah. that it's going to be this year. So I'd still be a little bit cautious, okay. Brian. Ke okay, Kevin, a follow-up to you. First, before I go back to Michelle, so do you think the gains, if we have gains, if, if we had gains for the year, are they in? I mean, we've got yeah, 10 and a yeah, half absolutely. months left yes. to go. What yes. are we going to talk yeah. about? No, I think wherever the stock market is today is where it should be at the end of the year. I, you know, I'll just jump in. I think, Kevin, you're right in the sense that it, it the, the truth is, is that the market has done a lot for now. And the real question or, you know, about the Fed that we really need to know won't be answered until much later this year. I mean, they've done so much. They can do a little bit more. Then they're likely to pause and wait to see what happens and whether or not they ultimately then have to go even higher than they think because inflation doesn't get all the way down to two, whether or not that's it. And they can actually think about at some point pivoting. I mean, we won't know that until we get much later in the year and we see where inflation settles out. So I, I, I have to say from a macro standpoint, the idea that we may be range bound for a period of time, I, you know, makes a lot of sense. And worst case scenario, Michelle, I'll leave you with this. If we get a hot CPI number and a cool producer number on Thursday, how do we read it? If they go in the opposite well, like direction I, of each other, whichever way. Well, the the CPI always is 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 more important in terms of what the market reacts. The Fed will actually like the PPI coming down because that is a like a leading indicates wholesale prices that should give us a clue about future consumer prices. So from the Fed standpoint, that would actually be somewhat good news. But the market will take the CPI being hot much more than it will react yeah. to a low PPI report. Well, Michelle and Kevin, I want to say thanks. Also, I don't know if you guys know this. You know, the RBI ran. This is random and interesting for you guys. You are my final ever <laughs> guests on Worldwide Exchange. Well, Brian, congratulations, congratulations on the new show. Very exciting on the new show. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you both very much. I really appreciate that. So when somebody says, what's the who's the last guest for Brian Wex?" You'll say it was Kevin Simpson and Michelle Gerard. So there you go, folks. This is a little bit bittersweet. Uh, my final Worldwide Exchange been five years together. We had a pandemic in the middle of it, broadcasting from like a bathroom for a while. Uh, through it all, really proud of what we built. Love spending my mornings with you or listening on the podcast later on. And, and we call our team small but mighty. They come in in the middle of darkness. They just bust their tail. Best in the business. And Jason, Evan, Adam, Kate, Michelle, Eric, Ralph, everybody in the past as well. Carissa, got Kevin Flynn, my dog. You know you're out there. You helped me work on the show as well. Uh, Namdi, Anjali, everybody, thanks. Really appreciate all the support. We'll leave it in great hands. Our friend and colleague, Frank Holland, is going to be shepherding it from here on out. It's going to do a fantastic job. And in the meantime, I'm completely inverting the dial, going from first to last. And last call is going to launch March 8th. We're working on the show now. I can tell you it looks fantastic. It's going to be different than a lot of things else on CNBC. Uh, tune in March 8th. I'll be off and on until then. I want to say thank you all for everything over the last five years or so. God bless. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 